Hello and welcome to a new episode of our Tech Talk. If you like the show, then please give us a like. For sure, subscribe the channel, click the bell button. This helps the algorithm on YouTube so that everyone can find DeFi Chain and what's happening uh, behind the scenes. And I'm very happy that we can have uh, another episode to have a look, a deeper look in the technology, what's behind, what's uh, developing. And uh, I will directly jump to the main actors today. Welcome Yusin, Chi and Prasanna to this episode. I'm very happy that we can do it. Uh, and I think you will show us great stuff like the last episode. I'm looking forward. I have no idea what you have prepared. Yusin, you will give us an overview and also introduce uh, here the actors of today. Hey everyone. Uh, yeah, thanks uh, for hosting us, uh, DC. Always great to be back. Um, yeah, so today we have a new face, uh, Chi, and we have Prasanna as well. So today we're gonna, we have an action pack um, topic to cover uh, today. Hopefully we can cover it all in, in about an hour. So uh, firstly, we have uh, Prasanna. He's gonna talk about the blockchain updates. I think we, we have, uh, Deepak Chin has a couple of uh, updates coming up. So uh, Prasanna will cover the details on what's coming up there. What can we expect there? Uh, and Chi, so Chi is a researcher and developer uh for for uh cake and birthday research so he's he's actually from uh he's done a lot of work on ethereum space uh very very active in ethereum space uh really mingle with the with the big names on ethereum space uh so he's done a very good research on DeFi options uh and that one the the idea about that is it's going to be a um, a candidate for DeFi chain options that will then be adopted on a native chain. Uh, so I think the, the thing that she has done there, it's really uh, amazing. I think it's not available out there on the on, on the DeFi space uh, so far. So it's going to be very, very interesting uh, when she's going to cover that. And uh, it will end with me. So I'm going to talk uh, briefly about updates on EVM and updates on further decentralization effort, and also a quick update uh, on uh, on DeFi option as, as well on what it means uh, for the DeFi chain community. Um, yeah, with that, um, let's start. Okay, great. A lot of stuff. Then we switch the scene. Prasanna, I think you start. Right, I share your screen. Yep. So now uh, everyone thanks. can see it. Thanks, DZ. Uh, nice, back, uh, back here. Uh, okay, so I, I hear that this is actually going to be a pretty action-packed one uh, with a lot of new stuff. So I'll just uh, give a really quick uh, overview on uh, some of what we have in the DeFi chain, uh, the updates, the hard fork that's coming up, uh, cover a little bit, and then, uh, you know, I know everybody's now excited about what uh, Chi has to talk about, but I'll cover it briefly and then hand it over. Um, okay, so... DeFi chain, um, what we have uh, next coming up is Great World, which is V3. Uh, this is a lot of these stuff has been uh, some of the things that we have already discussed before. But in general, V3 is something that has enormous amount of internal changes. Uh, yeah, just put in some of the stuff from GitHub, but you know, there's still a lot of PRs that are yet to be merged. Uh, and most of these are things that we will actually see getting merged because we have 
an automated testing process which tests each and every single PR right now. So we are building all of that infrastructure as well, meanwhile. So uh, most of these will end up going in uh, in the next week. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, people who have followed, been following the code, I think, will kind of recognize where it was in uh, before V3 and after V3 is going to be completely different. There's enormous amount of changes in there. So uh, now coming to V3 itself, um, but these are stuff developers care about, but then at the end of the day for user, none of that matters, right? So, but what it translates to so far is, you know, far better reliability and more testing and then better maintenance going forward. Now coming to the key features, one of the things that has been most anticipated is stock split. Uh, we've talked about it quite a few times and what's coming up, uh, but never went into detail. And now we actually have uh, Amazon, which is going to split on June 3rd. So it becomes extremely important now to make sure that uh, we actually have it on V3. So uh, long story short, from a very high level view, all the procedure is actually super simple. Like what's going to happen is once uh, the hot fork kicks in, before the split, there's a mechanism called uh, lock, which is going to be an attribute that will be set. All of these are things that can be controlled through on-chain governance. Uh, as we go forward, more and more of these will move into on-chain governance. We'll briefly touch that as well. Uh, but the main procedure uh, on a particular token, Amazon here is token number 49. So we'll see that lock that's going in. When it's going to go in is uh, something around plus or minus 12 hours before. So this the pre-split lock is going to be set about 12 hours before the split actually happens. So sometime in you know, June 2nd. And then once that is set, what happens is most of the subsystems will pause and you will not be able to use any any of the, let's say, decks or walls, anything to do with that token during the point of the lock. Now, uh, the lock is a, it's purely a safety mechanism at this point in time. Going forward, as we see, we can reduce the time of the locks. Again, it's on-chain adjustable. And even if possible, completely remove them as we gain confidence. Uh, and then the on the, the split height is the one that's going to determine when tokens are going to be split. And then uh, it's going to be set similar to you know 49, which is the token ID, and then uh, by 20. So Amazon, for every stock, you get 20 stocks. So that's basically the split. And this split. It's, it's another attribute that's going to be set. And exactly on this height, a lot of things happen, which we'll just cover in a bit. And after that post split, again, after a few hours, uh, the token lock sets to sets itself to false, and then that's it. All systems are gone. Uh, procedure is going to be, that's it. Like all these three things that, that you will see in the attributes, and then like that's it. That means that the split is set, and a lot everything from this point on is going to be completely automatic. Now, going into how it actually works, right? So the moment a lock is set, every single subsystem, this includes the vault, this includes the DEX, everything is gonna go into a pause for just that token. And now I, I, what you can, you can move them as usual uh, throughout. There's gonna be no block where you're gonna be prevented from doing that, but you won't be able to interact with any other subsystem, which is all of them, which requires a price. Um, now, this is to protect us against, you know, some Oracle instability or anything during that point in time. And then what happens is, so this is essentially a sensible control mechanism. 
right? It's an on-chain mechanism to address, let's say, there is an emergency stock split that's coming up later. So then, you know, block is the one that you end up starting with first with an emergency defect, and then everything else can subsequently follow. So that's essentially the, the, the whole reasoning behind the lock system. And it also gives us a sanity measure to ensure that everything is all right during the initial stages and the initial rollout. Uh, and the, once the lock is set, now that what time we're setting the lock is something that's again, you know, it's going to be on-chain controlled and uh, so it's adjustable, but by default, we're going to set it to around 12 hours before and 12 hours after so that we get a good amount of time. Uh, but the, the 12 hours is something, like, ideally the way that I think that it can be uh, directed towards is that this is my personal opinion, is that every single token split has to be taken in a unique way. Because let's say some a split happens on a Friday night or a Friday evening. So then what that means is you could potentially have some oracles that are publishing old data or anything like that after 12 hours from now, because it's the weekend, let's say, you know, nobody wants to deal with that. So these are things that can happen. Uh, but at the moment, uh, I, I, so at the moment, all of these are, all of the oracles are currently for, with the, uh, the official Oracle adapters, everything is automated and they do handle a good chunk of uh, sanity measures as well. So it's unlikely that will happen, but uh, V4 is where we have more changes that are coming on for on-chain consensus as well. So until that, all of that happens, this is another safety measure that we have. Uh, so if we consider it as, you know, like if it's Friday, then maybe we can extend it a little bit. Uh, so those are things that, uh, you know, I can, I think it might be good to see it as every split as a separate mechanism, but everything is going to be automated at the end of the day, right? So it's not going to be extra effort beyond setting those, uh, whatever attributes that needs to be set. And then that's it. Chain will handle everything else. Now coming to on the split block, this is where all of the magic happens. Right. So on when that split block is actually hit, the old token gets renamed, automatically renamed to Amazon V1. And then the next time another split, V2, V3, and so forth. And then the new token, which is uh, new, this is going to have a completely new token ID that's going to be created as the with the same name as Amazon. Uh, and then uh, subsequently, what's going to happen all in the same block is another same thing will happen to the pool as well. The old pool uh, will uh, old pool will get disabled and new pool with the new token will get automatically created. And then every single subsystem will auto rebalance to use the new token, which means your pool, your liquidity, everything is going to tr translate itself automatically to the, the new pool that was created. And if you're holding any tokens, all tokens that you have will now instead be replaced by the new tokens. LP tokens, again, the same way. So all of this is in that single block, everything just like, you don't have zero effort that anybody has to make and everything just, just changed. And um, pretty much that's actually about it. Stocksmith happens on that block. And now you will have all of these new tokens, but you may not be able to use them because uh, in order for you to use them, the unlock has to be set. Once the lock is released, whenever that is, uh, then pretty much so by default again after 12 hours lock is released and then you can go trade pretty much every single system that you've used um yeah that's actually yeah all the complexities internal i think from a user perspective okay. try to make sure that it's as simple as possible uh and uh hopefully this is yeah uh, okay. something that you know, 
Prasanna, may I summarize from a user perspective? So if I have a look on the wallet, um, I will see the same pool because the name is the same, but I will have more tokens after the stock split. So you will remove in the background the old one and I get more uh, new ones. This is this is split ratio. Uh, and then it looks like the old one. So there is exactly perfectly uh, no change for the user. Exactly. So uh, however, there is going to be one change, which okay. is going to be your token ID is going to be different. So if you if you have yeah. never looked at if you don't know what your token <laughs> ID is, if you have never looked at it, right. you don't even have to worry so about it. Every light wallet user, no change because you're not looking in there on the ID. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. The whole uh, the intent behind internally changing the token ID is, let's say, if there are automated systems that are taking all of that doesn't take these into account. Now, they will not be able to harm in, mm -hmm. do any harm in any way uh, to themselves. Basically, you know, it prevents somebody from shooting themselves in the foot um, because the old tokens will just, you know, it, it, it'll become completely non-reactive after that point. And you can't use it with any other system because there is no pool that is enabled with the old token. There's just there's just nothing there to do with it. Uh, it will not. You won't be able to use that in a vault uh, because everything that's already there gets auto converted to the new one. And now all systems in that single block will update itself uh, to use the new ones. And the old ones are it's it's just sitting there. Uh, it's mostly historical accounting uh, because even the tokens are gone. Right. So uh, when there's just no way for you to to be able to use a new to old token or or think about hey you know like what if I bring it back at a different point in time because everything just aura splits um, yeah so that's the uh, yeah that's pretty much the gist of stock split and then uh, okay on chain governance I'll really quickly uh, try to just go over the, the details of are there in the pink paper and it's been sitting there for quite a few months now. So hopefully people are already aware. Uh, but long story short, a couple of new uh, RPCs are going to be there. The creation of that is the change is going to be as non-disruptive as possible because today people use, uh, they use GitHub, everything is put in. And once this is introduced, the transition is going to be smooth and slow. So we didn't want to introduce another new learning curve uh, for somebody else do while all of this gets settled. So the way is, it's going to be very similar, except you're going to have one small process where you know you're going to use the create CFP and then put the title in there and then eventually we're also looking at adding a hash for the content so that you know exactly what is that hashed content um, so right now the github issue is going to remain exactly the same and people can go look at the details of that however for voting people will use the vote mechanism and once voting is going to be, again, very simple RPC, vote yes or no. And so instead of you putting all of those hashes there on the GitHub issue, now you just do vote yes, no, and then that's it, pretty much done. So that's the key um, information. Uh, but hopefully, you know, we'll go into more details of all of this later. But uh, that I'll just cover that just to fit. And uh, then so many smaller items. I won't go into details, but uh, TX expiry, we already talked about masternode update. Uh, operator address is something that, change has been it's very it's been requested for a very long time uh, but the context behind that is now it creates previously it's either custodial or it's something the masternode user has to have full control over it these were really the only two mechanisms that was there but today you create this third scenario where people 
uh, service providers who don't want to take full custody can actually utilize this. But what they can do is they can use the mid path to say, okay, you know, I will be an operator, but then the user still controls everything. The user controls the wallet, the user controls the main key, user has the right to change the operator, user has the right to change the reward address. If that's not acceptable as a provider, then you move to the full custodial model where you completely run it, right? Otherwise, uh, user end, user always. So this, the whole, the philosophy behind this is more decentralization and more ability while keeping users having more control, but at the same time providing more for the operators to be able to do. And that's essentially the context of it. And then, yeah, decentralized token minting, uh, that's something uh, I, I think using will cover just of why that's required. And then we can discuss that more in detail. Detail stats and wallet auto backup is uh, something that we're starting to do. And um, yeah, so I, I, you know, I, these are smaller stuff, so I'm just going to actually skip over. And what's next? Timeline, early next week, we're going to expect uh, a, a lot of these PRs are going to be merged and then testnet as well next week. And about mid-May plus, we're looking at actually node release and then hard fork is going to be uh, on the f- targeting for the very first of June. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, yeah, sorry, I've been rushing through uh, a lot of it, but yes, let's leave it uh, to see. Cool. Yeah. Then uh, I have one question here in the chat regarding stock split. Maybe you can answer it regarding token ID. Uh, right. So with new tokens, new token ID automatically being created, should users expect price listings on places like CoinGecko uh, to be unreliable until CoinGecko references the new ID? Uh, yeah, so I don't know if they use ID as the mechanism. If they do use ID, yes, it will reflect the old ones and the new ID has to change, correct? Okay. Uh, I'll check into the, look into the details of it, but I don't know how CoinGecko currently references our mechanism. That's something to look into. It's a very yeah. good question. Thank you. Yeah. I, I believe they're not using the, the, the actual numeric ID. I think they're using the, the symbol ID. I believe that's the case. So probably doesn't affect that, right? Okay, if it is right. this, uh, the ticker symbol, then we have no issue because they di- directly switch to the new one and it should run through three. But um, yeah, having a look uh, would be great. Correct, yes. Good, that was the only question related to your topic. Thanks, Prasanna, a lot of things are happening. <laughs> and uh, I like the solution of the stock split because it's it's feeling like a split on the on-chain. Yeah? You really implemented a mechanism which splits the token. Um, okay, in the background, a new token is created, but for the user, it's a kind of split. You have more tokens than before after the split. Great. Cool. Then, G is the next, right? So I switch to his screen. Then show us or tell us a little bit about uh, options. I'm looking forward to it. Sure, cool. Uh, I hope you can he- everyone can hear me. Yep. Awesome. So yeah, uh, hi everyone. My name is Chi, and uh, today um, we are going to talk about the other approach of uh, decentralizing options. There are already a few out there in the market, and uh, today we are going to take a different kind of approach uh, to to doing doing so. And uh, let's see if I can go to the next slide. Yeah, okay. So um, for the benefit of uh, everyone, so uh, doing a, I'm going to give a brief introduction of what options is. Uh, an option is basically a contract 
that gives uh, the right uh, to buy or sell an asset specified in the option contract. So in a call option, uh, call option enables the buyer to buy an asset at a specified price. And conversely, put option enables the buyer to sell an option at a specified price. And a thing to note is that um, there is no need to exercise the option by the option buyer, uh, especially it's not beneficial to do so. So for example, uh, using uh, if an example, let's say I bought a call option uh, if at, that has a strike price of 3,500 uh, and I and the, the market price now is 3,000, there is really no reason for me to exercise my option to purchase if at 3,500 because it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be cheaper to purchase it from the market at $3,000. Uh, so yeah, again, to stress that um, options, uh, there's no uh, need for you to exercise it to, to, to purchase at a specific price. Yeah, and uh, so you may ask why options? So these are the three uh, normally used uh, cases for options. Number one is hedge hedging. So um, say, again, I'm using if an example, I own some if, at, and uh, right now it's around $3,000. But I'm afraid that if might just drop to maybe to zero tomorrow and to hedge that to give myself some sort of protection, I buy a, for example, a put option uh, to allow to give me the right to sell if at maybe uh, 2,500 US dollars. So tomorrow, if if really do drops to like way below 2,500, I'm able to exercise my option to sell if at $2,500. So this sort of give me like a uh, loss protection and uh, limit my loss uh, of, of the asset. And yeah, this is a common thing that uh, traders uh, would do um, for, especially if they are afraid that um, the asset they are holding will just drops, uh, in, like uh, fluctuates too much and they don't like it. And the second use case of an option is um, to give the asset a bit uh, a more pre predictable price. And this is uh, mainly used by companies. And uh, one example that I have over here is airplane companies and they want to buy oil at a fixed price because it's easier for them to do accounting, easier, easier to um, for their cash flows. So they, they purchase at call options so that they're able to predict um, how much they are going to spend for oil uh, in the future because oil price fluctuates, especially we know there's a war going on and stuff like that. And finally, uh, one of the reasons why people use options is for leverage. So traders uh, only need to pay a small premium uh, for put higher potential returns because um, you don't have to purchase the entire asset. You just have to pay the premiums. And when it's beneficial for you, you exercise your options to purchase at a favorable price and whatnot. But this is uh, definitely uh, a bit risky. So uh, always do your own research before uh, using options uh, uh, to leverage uh, on assets. And uh, yeah, not financial advice. And moving on. So um, so these are the two current um, protocol option protocols in the DeFi space. Uh, we have Open and Hedging. So before I introduce uh, our approach to options in uh, DeFi, so uh, I will go through a bit of a high-level um, over, overview for these two uh, DeFi protocols. So open uh, essentially allows user to underwrite an option by creating a vote. So they have a vote and then they uh, deposit into the vote and then they mint uh, options in the form of O tokens. And the O tokens have a particular expiration date and strike price. So yeah, so and no tokens they can then be sold in an open market, and then uh, what they what people pay for the old tokens essentially act as a premium for the options. So one thing to note is that the old tokens are fungible, uh, for particular 
expiration and strike price. So they're all treated the same and they, they can be uh, traded um, among each other. So uh, this is a visual representation of uh, how it might look like in open. So uh, this is the vote. And then uh, someone funds the vote by putting some, some funds in. And then um, the old tokens will get minted out and old tokens will have a specified uh, expiration and strike price. And notice I have like a couple of votes over here and uh, of different uh, expirations and probably strike prices. And that also means that for each old tokens, we, they'll need to, they need to have a, a different vote to mean a different kind of old tokens. And as you can see, it sort of like fractionalizes the, the uh, capital for, for operating a vote. And moving on, uh, we have Hedgic. Hedgic is a slightly different option protocol because it's an American style option. So American style options are when you can only exercise it before the expiration date. And uh, Hedgic has a single pool uh, of options that services a series of different expiration and strike prices. Now I do have a star behind strike price because it depends if you're using it on uh, the Ethereum chain or the Arbitrum uh, optimistic rollup chain. Uh, yeah. And in Ethereum, it's only uh, in, the, in, in the money. So you can only buy options that are uh, at the current price and they have an Oracle that will, um, they will feed the current price uh, in, into the, their smart contract. And Arbitrum, they have uh, out of money and uh, in the money options. But yeah, the main point is to uh, highlight that they have a single pool and a single pool is able to uh, sort of mint different kind of uh, option uh, tokens uh, for, for users. However, the options are non-fungible because uh, for each um, tokens that mint, they do store this amount in the metadata and this will uh, be used uh, to, for accounting purposes. So that in the case of um, when you want to exercise the option, uh, they, will know, they will rely on that metadata to, to sort of like, calculate the profit. And, and, uh, yeah. and one thing about Hedrick is that the premium price is calculated um, via variable controlled by the admin meaning um, the admin has uh, the sole authority to change that variable. And by changing a variable, we are, in, uh, we are essentially changing the premium price uh, to be more expensive or cheaper. So yeah, it really depends uh, on the admin's, uh, admin's, admin's uh, control. So we can sort of say that it's a sort of like centralized kind of thing. Right. So again, this is a visual representation of um, how Hedrick works. So again, I use the vote picture, but we can we can think of it as a pool. Uh, we have like everyone, every staker, we just fund one pool and the pool will um, be able to mint different kinds of uh, options. So um, notice I use three different images because they are like, they're non-fungible to each other because they represent like different amounts, different strike price and different expiry. And um, so I, do, I did mention different amounts. What do I mean? It means that let's say I have uh, five ETH uh, options and I would like to sell it to someone else who only like to buy two ETH of my five ETH option. And that will not, not be possible because there's no way for me to split uh, my options into two out of five and to pass it on to him. Yeah, because it's um, it's being stored in one token and the metadata, it's uh, not possible to change because of uh, how smart contracts are written. So uh, yeah, moving on, uh, this is what we really want in our option protocol is that we have an aggregated pool something like Hedgic, single pool services, multiple kind of options. And uh, we want our options to be tradable in the open market. In other words, we want options to be kind of fungible to each other, uh, something like what Open is doing. And uh, ultimately, we also want our premium price to be reflective of the market's demand. Uh, we try, do not want to centralize the premium price control too much like Hedgic. 
but we would like to uh, like pass that power on to uh, the market to decide how much the premium uh, should be should be should be charged. So yeah, so there's a bit of code over here which I will briefly go through. So um, this is um, the, the number one goal is to have a single pool. So um, so this is written in the solidity, and this provide from function basically allows anyone to to uh, to stake into the pool. So by passing in the amount and the minimum share of he or she expects to get out of the out of it, so he she, uh, he or she is able to uh, to stake into the pool. So uh, after all the logics in, in, that have stepped off over here, at the end, uh, I will the, the the stakers will be able will be minted a trench. Trench is basically an accounting um, NFT that represents like how much you own, how much shares you own in the pool. And uh, the state of your trench. So open basically means that uh, the stake is it's there in a pool and has not been uh, redeemed yet. And finally, we have this uh, block timestamp, which is uh, useful because um, uh, our our option protocols has this sort of lockdown period for stakers. So in other words, it means that stakers will not be able to uh, withdraw immediately after he or she has staked. So he need they, they need to wait for a certain time period. Before uh, they are able, they are able to like remove their stake, and that sort of gives protection of liquidity protection to the uh pool, because we do not want like people to exit the liquidity uh, so suddenly and uh, leaving no no funds in the pool for people to buy the options. So that would wouldn't be nice. And uh, what's good? What's the benefit uh to uh, of of stakers? So uh for the risk that they are undertaking, they are able to generate yields in the form of uh, option premiums. So for each option that is being sold, a certain premium will be uh, included in the pool. And depending on how much share the staker owns, um, the premium, the, and uh, they will, that will determine the size of the premium that they are getting uh, when they withdraw. And uh, we will also ad cover additional rewards uh, later in, 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 uh, in the end of the, probably end, towards the end of the presentation, but yeah. And the next thing uh, that we really uh, want- sorry, I, I... I jump in a little bit there, actually, just to add a bit of context here on on uh why uh why why it's being done this way and why why there's a solid decode here. So, firstly, uh we had a pink paper uh last year that we're gonna DeFi is gonna be adding uh option and, and futures. I think futures we we have it right now uh with the D, D, uh D token and uh the next thing that um DeFi chains developing uh would be option. So option, uh, the, the things that DeFi Chain has done so far is taking what's available out there, look at how, how good they are, and then try to solidify them into native DeFi and put it into a C++ code base, and it, it becomes a native DeFi. So for option, there has been two large uh, protocols out there that she pointed out. Uh, they are not as exciting because they have been uh, has been very limited use and also it's not very flexible and it doesn't come with usually what um, DeFi users like us like because DeFi users like us we like to we like to yield mine we like to uh, participate in things that generate reward and then in exchange for that like it also provides some sort of a, an arbitrage market arbitrage relief for people to uh, to to trade against uh, any price inefficiency when you participate in, in those things. So with that, with, with those uh, kind of like a uh, scope and those kind of goals that uh, Chi is set out to to look into ways for us to bring. Uh, so in a way, it's like a, 
innovation from from uh, from DeFi chain side that we're doing this to um, um, to to basically make option in a in a more of like an AMM way, like automated market maker way, and it's fun for for people to participate. And also, there's a lot of opportunity for arbitrage, and basically just hopefully it gets a lot more usage than what's available out there today on the DeFi space um, because it's more interactive. Just like when in the early days when Dex was started on, uh, it, it was there's an order book you have to put an order in and you have to you have to put a transaction to modify the order and put an transaction to to cancel your order. It wasn't fun. Like it was it was very very barely used from the early days, and then as AMM came in for Dex and this company changed everything because it's so simple to use and there's yield mining that's fun and all that. So we're trying to bring all this flavor into into option, and therefore Chi is set out to to, to do this research and. So what he's done here, it's a prototype that's built on Solidity on EVM. So um, we're gonna talk about the, uh, the the plans for that, but for now, um, try to understand uh, the goals on why why he sounds to do that and what he's done so far. And then uh, briefly on my on my section, we're gonna talk about how that ties in with uh, with, with DeFi chain eventually. Yeah, thanks. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah. So moving on, um, yeah. So there, there were three things that uh, we set out that we want. So uh, we just finished the aggregated, the single pool uh, explanation of how we do it and uh, what stickers can expect to have. So we are going to move on to the tradable options in the open market thing. So yeah, so like in Hedgic, uh, we are not able to trade. Uh, it's not fungible, so it's difficult for us to, uh, it's a difficult experience for us to trade the options uh, among uh, each other. And um, what, and uh, Let's see. And yeah, so what we really want is that um, we want each option of a distinct expiration and a strike price to be fungible to each other. So example, option A has an expiration of at 5th of May today at uh, 3,000 US dollars and option B, uh, 5th of May also, but 3,001 US dollars. So essentially they are different. So uh, option A and B are not, uh, are, are not going to be treated equally. However, all options in uh, option A will be treated equally, no matter the amount. They represent the same amount of the same proportion of collateral, the uh, same proportion of premium, and you know, so you can easily offload half of your options to to another user uh, if you like. And how do we do that? Uh, we have this thing called a deploy ERC uh, twenty contract, uh, whereby for a new type of expiration date and strike price, we will deploy a new uh, ERC uh, twenty contract. So. Um, for the more technical people, this uh, we are using a minimal proxy uh, method because it's uh, definitely more gas efficient to uh, deploy a similar uh, yes, contract uh, over and over again. And uh, once we have deployed, uh, it will be then pushed into one of the mappings so that we will keep record of uh, the address of a specified expiration date and strike price. And this will be explained later uh, of why I do that. And again, uh, to and we, we also have a certain limitation, such as we only uh, uh, allow certain expiration date and strike price, because we do not want um, there, to, to, there to be too many variations of ERC-20 options out there. And it's very hard to trade the market because everything has been fractionalized. So there could be only like five uh, options of A and maybe 10 options of B. If we were to like allow an infinite amount of possibilities, there will be so many out there and very hard to keep track. And, uh, and also very hard, very hard for everyone to access now and void the options, so which I will also talk about it later. So uh, how do we do that? Uh, again, this is a snip version of the of the cell, cell option code. Uh, I do check that uh, this, this um, 
uh, this is uh, UTC, check for the UTC time. So only uh, option that expires at 8 a.m. UTC every day is allowed to, uh, uh, it's allowed, I mean, you only buy able to sell options at 8 a.m. UTC every day. And again, this is subject to change. Right now, I'm just leaving at 8 a.m. UTC, meaning you cannot buy options that expires at 8.01 a.m. You can only buy at 8 a.m. every day, but it's every day. So uh, it, should, it, should be, it should be good enough. And uh, secondly, we have this uh, strike price position. It represents like how much the steps that we want uh, in our price. So let's say if I step if I set my position to be ten, I am only able to buy options of price maybe three thousand, three thousand and ten, three thousand twenty, and so and so forth. But I cannot buy uh, uh, options of track price three thousand and one because that is not in the in the in the uh, in the how can I say the allowed position. So yeah, so these are the ways that we are we use to try to not fractionalize the, the option market too much. And uh, for each option that is sold, we do have a there's a small there's a percentage of collateral that's being locked so that uh, option buyers will always uh, be be guaranteed a profit payoff if there is a profit. And uh, our option is also European style, and anyone is anyone is able to exercise anyone's option after the expiration date. And after a certain expiration threshold, anyone is able to now avoid the entire uh, option ERC twenty and the lock collateral and the premiums will be returned back to the pool. Now, why do I want this? Because uh, we want to encourage buyers, especially those who have a profit, to, uh, ex to exercise their own options instead of having others to exercise for you. Um, and it's also definitely more efficient to uh, expire the entire uh, the contract itself. And also, if at a point of time, the option is not profitable, uh, we, don't know, we don't want to encourage everyone to just wait out and hold the option until it becomes profitable and exercise again. That will create an unfair advantage uh, for the option buyers. So we so after a certain time period, the threshold, uh, that's why I call it, probably we can set it a day or something. Uh, like um and like probably the stakers will be um will be uh encouraged or incentivized to just now avoid the entire bunch of uh entire group of ERC option ERC20, and then they will get all the premiums and uh, collateral back. And whatever that is done, the profits that were supposed to be gained by the option buyers will also be uh, now void. Yeah, so that's sort of like a penalty. So you have to you have to exercise your own options if, because if I were to exercise for you, you will lose everything. Yeah, and yeah, this is the function of how we do it. So we have uh, we we call the uh, fully unlocked um function in the option ERC twenty. And then afterwards, the unlocked amount and unlocked premium will be uh, add, will be unlocked uh, in the pool. And in the ERC twenty side, this is the fully unlocked function, and this is a modifier that says that uh, it can only be caught after uh, after the expired threshold, and everything will be uh, unlocked. Just a quick snippet of uh, of how uh, it, it is written in the solidity side, for those who are interested. And uh, finally, uh, the automated option premium price calculation. We want a, met a, a method to sort of track the demand of an option. Uh, so what it means is that the price of, of, of the premium will decay when more blocks have passed without any option purchase. Because if there are more blocks without option purchase that has passed, it signifies that the option is low in demand and the premium price will reflect, will become cheaper uh, to, to, to reflect the low in demand and basically encourage and spur the um, spur option buyers to pounds on a good deal if they deem it is a good deal and if they're like so too many purchases in a small period of time 
uh, the price will the premium price will increase because the demand has also increased and and yeah that that's sort of work work in the supply and demand kind of a uh, kind of matter so uh this is the uh the, the simple formula basically iv in this case doesn't really mean implied volatility it's just a marker that i use to track the demand and uh, we can see the longer the blocks that has passed without an option purchase that it will decay exponentially and at the end over here uh, although it's very small that you can't see uh, i do have like a, a li limit of how low it can go because uh, ultimately i do not want the price to become zero so people will get options for free that is uh not not a not a good thing good thing for the for every, for the stakers especially so yeah it's being clipped at a very low amount and it's something that we can we, we can decide later on and uh, this is the price formula uh, that uh, uses IV and the expiration date to determine the premium price. And, uh, and also the price difference of, of the uh, strike price to the current price also um, affects how much the premium is going to be. So assume if we look into this graph, at uh, let's say the current price of this asset is at 300 US dollars. And um, if we are buying, we, if we are setting our strike price to be below the current price, it'll be more expensive to uh, purchase that option because it's more advantageous for you to buy some to to want to buy something that is cheaper in the future, considering that the price is like much higher much higher now. So it, you have to pay a much higher premium. And conversely, uh, if you were to buy um, the options of strike price that is greater than three hundred, the price will also become cheaper for you. And again, similar concept. This thing is clipped at a very minimum, uh, at a minimum price, and uh, it will not be zero. So, so yeah, basically that 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 that, that basically uh gives you a, a level overview, I would say, of uh, of the uh, price calculation of premium, and uh, finally additional rewards. So, what do I mean by additional rewards? So there are two ways to incentivize uh users, uh, to I would say bootstrap stakers to participate in the option protocol. Uh, one is the staking rewards whereby uh, each the re amount a uh, fixed re amount of reward will be awarded in each block and the reward is uh, split in proportion to the uh, share of the staker so the more you stake in the more the more shares you own in one block the the, the more uh, the higher uh, proportion of reward token you will get and uh, the reward token is fixed so let's say it's one if i own 90 percent of the of the shares i will get 90 percent of one if which is 0 0.9 if and uh, yeah that's, that's basically how it works. And partial payout is a pretty interesting because uh, for each block, um, a certain amount will be accumulated in what we call the accumulated pool. And uh, in case of a profit by option buyers, a portion of the accumulated pool, token of the, the pool, will be, uh, will be used as payout. So in other words, the pool will not have to pay out 100% of profit. They only have to pay out a, a portion of it. And, the, the other portion is being paid out by this accumulated pool. So uh, thereby minimizing the risk uh, to, the, to the stakers. And uh, yeah, that's, that probably uh, sums up the uh, my, my, my quick presentation. And uh, we are also making our public report public release soon. So uh, happy to accept any reviews, feedbacks, contributions by anyone. So yeah, any I, I, I do not know if you have time for questions, but uh, I'm happy to take them if they are available. Great, thanks a lot. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, the obvious question would be when? <laughs> when can we expect uh, the feature having on, on DeFi chain or with DeFi? Um, what do you uh, Yeah, I'm going to cover that 
gonna cover that uh, shortly on my part. Yeah. Okay. So we postpone a little bit the question to later, <laughs> to your part, and yep. then we have a look. <laughs> so pay attention. Cool. Yeah. Um, maybe one question uh, using to you. Um, you mentioned the futures uh, we have now live uh, with the D token. Um, do we expect another future uh, feature uh, or futures feature on DeFi chain? Because I had in mind this, uh, something different, like futures trading um uh, with supply and demand here yeah? now we are settling at a, a price in future where we don't know yeah it's the current price and if we have a look on futures trading um it's it, it, the, the price is determined by the supply and demand so for me it's a little bit different maybe i'm wrong here um but uh i had something different in mind um yeah i mean um the, so what we had initially was, uh, I mean, the original idea for the, to the tokens or these stocks uh, that we had uh, order book futures, and then mm -hmm. using that, allowing the, uh, the 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 community to create uh, the tokens of that, and um, and just from the um, uh, evolution of DeFi chain, it turns out to be uh, that it was done through, uh, through a different mechanism, through a vault and using a, a deck instead of using a, a order book future. So, uh, mm -hmm. and then we had, and I think we all treat it as a, as, but in my opinion, I think what we had right now, it's more of an AMM based future where it, it uh, kind of settles, uh every week so obviously that's five percent penalty uh or fee that you have to pay to to, to utilize the future but i think in a way it kind of acts as the future we can i mean DeFi chain it's, it's everyone's uh project it it doesn't end here like we can we can there could be potential to to add like order book and all that uh make it uh more of a traditional future rather than amm future uh yeah, that could also be added, but I think for now, looking, uh, I think EPM is what's coming up that also allows a lot more innovation from the mm -hmm. community as well, from everyone, but without having to modify the, the consensus, because that's always harder, harder part. So, mm -hmm. yeah, in, in, the, in, in short, um, there's no direct plan right now on the native side. Uh, the, the longer answer would be, um, yeah, we have EPM, and that will allow a lot more innovation with the token. There are a lot of things we can do with that. So looking forward to that. Yeah. Maybe it's something that graduates, some, some, something that's built on the EVM side that makes sense and they can graduate into native DeFi and be added as a native DeFi. Okay. Just like this approach on, on option. I think it makes yeah. sense for the part or EVM part to be kind of like an experiment, get feedback and see how the interaction is, to implement it. And once it, it, it matures and then we solidify it into, uh, into native DeFi. Great, thanks for the clarification that yeah, we have the, the same thing in mind. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the options trading um, because uh, you can really use then the blockchain to do something new. Um, yeah, then we switch to your topic because I see no other questions in the chat. Um, and uh, if you are not mentioning the when, I will remind you. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Okay, thanks.
All right, yeah, I'm just, uh, just going to do a quick uh, few, cover a few topics and also basically close up the, the tech book I saw. And there's any way I have to take them. Uh, so, yeah, I'm using. Um, so, for those who do not know, yeah, so I um, kind of do the research on DeFi chain, uh, um, on the things, uh, on how to build, um, like, the innovations and also the, the, um, the things that we progressing ahead but i mean it's a completely supplies project so i could be anyone could, could play my role i'm just trying to bring it forward a little bit. so yeah so the four topics i want to cover here briefly are first decentralization i think there has been a lot more effort in decentralizing uh DeFi chain. i think that looking at even like the top 50 coins on on coin market cap or coin gecko i think i i made that tweet i think we i really think that DeFi chain it's probably one of the most like maybe even top 10 or top 20 most decentralized projects out there already in many metrics out there uh yeah so i really think that we're we're really getting super well uh super decentralized right now so um so i'm going to cover that briefly uh before i jump forward so the second thing is uh define management progress i think a lot of people here i also want to hear about what's happening on the EVM side uh but uh, I think usually people, uh, I mean, a lot of uh, community is always expanding when people uh, about that. And Diva Chain Bridge uh, from uh, Dr. Dana Kagara, uh, that's super exciting. I'm gonna cover that also briefly. Not, not, uh, not my innovation, but um, interesting uh, topic so to cover briefly. And lastly, uh, DeFi options. So we're gonna uh, talk about uh, what to do, what to do with the um, with the research or with the prototype that, that she has built. So, so firstly, decentralization. So, uh, so this is DFIP uh, that was put in uh, to further decentralize uh, the consensus code ownership. So uh, I just want to briefly cover that. I made some tweets on that and generally I think uh, the committee has been super happy about it. I just want to make it clear that this committee is all about to make sure that consensus uh, uh, adheres to what the master notes vote for on, on the voter confidence and on, on DFIP. So uh, the the pull request, the, the merges and all that, just basically this community will have the um, the, the ultimate right to say, okay, this doesn't fit the the direction of DeFi chain and it should be blocked. Uh, also want to make it clear that um, uh, that this community will not be the only one that's merging because it would just be too much work if we, uh, and, it's, and you can get it if it's only just four person there, but I mean, there's enough safety and there's enough uh, view as well on the, on the code side to make sure that they are safe and they are also uh, sufficiently utilized. But this committee it's set up to make sure that there's no consensus that are made uh, out of DeFi chain code that doesn't adhere to the general, um, general direction general consensus of what DeFi chain uh community or master notes want to just want to make sure that those two are aligned um i hope that's clear and the next thing i want to briefly talk about crypto crypto token so we have dbtc the ETH, um the usd the usdc and all that tokens um so we have these uh on DeFi chain today and um i think they are they form a pretty core on and off ramps into DeFi chain. Uh, obviously, the uh, decentralized chains are also formed 
pretty good uh, on off ramp and so on into DeFi chain. Uh, the question is, can we take this token uh, further into decentralization? Because uh, I mean, they're back tokens, so they have you have addresses that you can check that they are backed on on the actual uh, Bitcoin chain or or Ethereum chain. Uh, but can we take this further decentralized? Uh, so this is what is being worked on. So uh, Decrypto Consortium, this is like a working name. Uh, the name is not it's not final or whatever. So the goal is, is clear. The goal is we want to take further decentralized on, on, on a token. So it, the approach is going to be very, very similar to USDC where these tokens are collectively managed by a group of, uh, a group of trusted parties. Uh, so they get the right to mint and burn tokens. Uh, but obviously when they when these parties mint and burn, they have to then back, right? So there will be a, a transparency dashboard that tracks the individual parties that participate in this consortium on how much they mint, how much they burn, how much they back and that's all to make sure they're over minting. Um, Obviously, uh, disease dashboard is also tracking that really, really well already today. But with this uh, consortium, it's going to be more multiple parties doing that. And the the key thing is they're all sharing the same token, so it will not be like a like a Bitcoin from from party A, Bitcoin from party B. It will be the same token because that allows a lot more interaction and a lot more um, seamless um, on and off ramp uh, into DeFi chain from coming from various. Uh, various um, RAMs that we have there. So uh, so the on the technical side, um, Persona briefly covered that. Uh, so it's being developed to support this feature uh, on how it's going to really happen on how this consortium will really pay out. Uh, it's still being worked on. So there's some legal um, 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 thing in there to make sure that like the part boarded has to be Highly trusted, and there has to be some, some, uh, some stake. May not be monetary, but some stake involved. That if someone misbehaves, you have to, uh, you you have to. It's very very highly trusted because we're talking about decentralized project here. So obviously, we want to be decentralized. At the same time, we want to make sure that that parts in this are are held to a very high standard, uh, both responsibility and also uh, legally as well. So. This direction that that uh that's taking, also the name of decentralizing uh DeFi chain. I think we're getting probably really close now to even more decentralization. Yep. So the next thing is DeFi mainnet chain. So uh DeFi mainnet chain the EVM uh approach into uh EVM uh support on DeFi chain. So we're gonna take uh a first step into DMT. Uh, I just want to basically paint the picture with uh, everyone here on what it looks like on the first iteration of DMC. Uh, it's a it's a continuous uh, piece, so it's not like once this is done. On the first step, to 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 make it out there, to make it to make it workable and safe. So, you can expect is that there will be a node that uh, will run the native chain and also the the DMC chain. So every single node on DeFi, DeFi chain will contain full visibility on these two um, on these two chains. Basically, you can think about it as one chain. They're not two separate chains because they are tied with one another. Um, like um, yeah, and the consensus work. The consensus uh, is that 
native DeFi chain, it's where there's a core consensus happening. So we're sticking, I mean, native DeFi chain is currently using uh, POS for you. So a proof of stake that's modified from coins uh, proof of work. So that's continue to be how native DeFi chain functions. There's no change on that. Native meta chain, so there has to be a consensus of how how the block can move forward on native on, on meta chain. So the way that that works is basically uh, every every block on native DeFi chain will allow the miner to also create a block on meta chain, so that allows a one to one block uh, at the same time uh, on both chains. So the time uh, of both chains will be exactly similar. So um, so there will be no block rewards on DMC. If you mine a block there, the only thing that you get is uh, a transaction fees on DMC side. So all the rewards stay on native side. Um, yeah, there's a lot of benefit by doing this. Obviously, speed. Obviously, uh, also th that uh, it's uh, a lot more straightforward on this approach. And I think the key thing is on coin and token inter interoperability because by doing this, the metadata on both chains can carry across the net amount of tokens and 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 DFI that goes across both chains. So like on the on the mayor side to go across the native side, how much is being transferred, how much is being destroyed over here, how much is being, being, being released over here, and how much and when you go across the other side, how much is being locked up here, how much is being created over here. It's basically a bridge, but a bridge without a um without trusted party. So every single node gets full visibility of that bridge and every single node gets to validate 100% on all the nodes that are all, all the tokens and all the nodes that are crossing across uh, the, the the chain. So it's fully trustless. Uh, so then there doesn't need to be any party that's managing those bridge. It's it's just very seamless. And the 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 token that cross over to the DMC side basically acts as a ERC20 uh, token. It's not strictly Ethereum, but it's it's in the same standard because it's not on Ethereum blockchain. So ERC20 is not the right term here, but you know what I mean. Right? It's just basically the same. Uh, interface for for token so which means that if you cross over you can write all the smart contracts you can port all the smart contracts on on ethereum side on bsc side on avax um uh, ethereum uh avax uh, evm chain over to to um to deep to uh DeFi chain they can run all of that uh on DeFi chain and i think this will open up a lot more a lot more innovation and the thing about this is it's very clear on how this this can happen, um, it also allows us the first step into uh, to, to, into releasing the first node into uh, into DMC. So when uh, as previously um, uh, communicated, so Q three twenty twenty two, it's kind of like where the the engineering team is now looking at for the main first rollout. There will be testnet. There will be um, uh, uh, there will be um, testnets before that to make sure it's all safe and all that. Um, but the first version, it's fully self-sufficient to support smart contracts. So you can we can look at NFTs, uh, DApps, and all that already happening on on DMC from the first block that's being uh, created on the DMC side. And uh, DMC will continue to to get upgrades over time, along with native side as well. Uh, get upgrades over time. Uh, the thing about the upgrades is that I mean the goal for us is to get to a stage where there there's no need to be for any further hard forks to happen for any upgrades. Uh, but before we get there, the upgrades might still require some hard forks along the way. But once you get fully there, I think person I'll probably share on the next tech talk on the, the WASM initiative on, on the native side on how we can 
make sure that the native even upgrades do not need um do not need uh any like downtime on the upgrade so it makes exchanges and all that a lot more easier uh, and uh, community also a lot easier and basically just national to voting for consensus changes and that gets uh um pulled into that gets accepted as as consensus code um so before we get there uh you may have to expect some some um traditional um um upgrades like what we're doing today but you can see from the past few upgrades it has been uh pretty safe pretty pretty uh pretty good so uh thanks for the great team uh, especially Pasana, uh, just leading that um making sure that everything's really really safe yeah um yeah so defychainbridge.com so this is uh dr dana kagaro's uh, bridge is live now uh, allowing you to go from DFI from native side into BSC into DFI token on BSC, and there has been I think two, as far as I know, two pools that are supporting uh, the token. So there's this uh, uh, XC pool, there's uh, DFI and BNB, and there's also the uh, Pancake Swap. There's also DFI and BNB. There are quite active trades going around. You can if you check the token smart contracts on on BSC scan, you can see that. Um, there are people using it every couple of minutes, like two to three minutes. There's always a token transfer. So really, really active to use. So even just a few days of launch. So yeah, very, very, very interesting there. Um, so I'm getting back a bit on DeFi options on what she presented just now. So what she presented was, uh, um, I think this is the approach that we always want to do when we start uh DeFi chain it's all about taking what's uh what's what's mature out there what's proven out there solidify it into native DeFi and put it into DeFi chain so on option what she has done here it's something that's new it's it's uh it's a research that's being done it's a prototype that's being built so if you do it directly on native DeFi, it can get tricky when you need to upgrade because you have to then do a hard fork and all that so it makes sense to be built on Solidity and then roll it out on, uh, on, on, uh, on, on, on a BSC on EVM blockchain to allow community to try out. Uh, and now that we have the bridge, it actually allows us a lot easier to, um, to deploy that on BSC. So now, on top of those two pools that we've seen, there's another reason why this bridge is going to be so handy because it allows, um allows community to go across uh, you have native DeFi you can go across to the to the BSC side assuming that contract's gonna be uh deployed over on BSC. Uh the the idea is to have a trial run on BSC for let's say two or three months for us to get feedback and uh and for us to improve as well on like any issues with the with the options smart contracts also to build uh interfaces and to build uh see interactions around it. Uh, and there will be liquidity mining earning DFI uh, in in a in in the form of BP twenty. So if you participate in this this uh, DeFi options pool, you will get some DFI from mining and also from the premiums that's being paid. And in order for you to um, you can use the bridge to then go back into uh, into the native side for you to do the usual native stuff. So you want to join the smart contract, you're gonna use that bridge to go into the BSC side. So I think it's a great. It serves two purposes. One is a it helps create a use case. I mean, a very strong use case for the bridge as well, for for a reason to go across. 
because there's a liquidity mining involved on, on the options pool. And secondly, it also helps to test and uh, the prototype that's been built on, on DeFi uh, options uh, over there. So on the DFI reward, um, uh, Cake will initially sponsor for, for about three months uh, of, of reward there just to kickstart or so forth to get some, uh, some um, um, like see the use pattern and also get feedback on safety and all that. Um, but that's only for three months. And then eventually, once you get ported back into, into native DeFi site, um, it, it, there's already DFI that's being allocated for, for liquidity mining on options. So, yeah. uh, yeah, we can just use that for, for that. So yeah, so that's the idea about, uh, about DeFi chain options, uh, in terms of, <laughs> so in terms of when, um, I need to, um, so. We're going to deploy on BSC, depends on when she's ready. I think it's just a matter of probably days or a week or two. And then uh, we'll also have a chat with, as well with uh, with Dino Kagara to see uh, if uh, his bridge can also support the, the token. If that works, then uh, it will be really great because we can also bring DUSD and uh, and the token as well over to BSC side. That will make the, the option even more interesting because not only trading against DFI, against let's say BNB, it's all about, you can even trade like the, the token options, which is very, uh, yeah, it's gonna be very interesting. Mm. So if, yeah, if the bridge supports the token, then we can do that. If not, then we're probably gonna have to deal with um, that BSC, uh, USDT on BSC or USDC on BSC. We have to use the existing token on, on, on the BSC side for that. So it depends uh, on how, how, how that looks. So we still, Still have to um, talk with the various parties involved, but you can see that's all part of the centralized uh, project. You have to talk to various parties, you have to see how you can collaborate and then bring projects to, to fruition. So yeah, I hope that gives everyone an idea uh, about when we can expect this. Yep. And yeah, I'm going to end with this, like a new building upstairs. We are doing very well against Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks everyone. Yeah, thanks, Yusin. So it's a little bit more clear. And you directly answered one of my questions. Um, I'm jumping back to this scene. Um, regarding uh, which tokens can be traded on BSC side with options, um, I think if uh, Dr. Danny Kagara can implement D tokens, would be amazing. Yeah, that's, that's the purpose here. We want to trade uh, any assets, and, um, but we have to check, I understood, and have to wait. Uh, there was another question regarding uh, the DeFi meta chain. Maybe you can answer it. What are the biggest risks of DMC parallelism to native DeFi chain? I think that's a little bit um, uh, kind of uncertainty in the community. Um, if we are talking about EVM, is is it related to the native DeFi? Get, uh, do we have risk additional with the EM, EMB? Um, maybe you can clarify it again a little bit. Sure. So the way that it's being done over here is actually makes it super, super safe. So it, uh, when you go, when you go across to the DMC side, the DFI or the token on, on native side has to be locked up in a smart contract or in a, in an address that's not accessible. And then the tokens are that's being recreated over here. So assuming this, this mechanism is safe, obviously that could be buff, but assuming this is safe, then everything else is happening on DMC side would not allow you to create more token because it's not possible on EVM side. It's, it's fully tested. 
you can't create token out of thin air on, on, on DMC side. If you create a new one, then uh, it's not it's not the same one for you to redeem. So on the existing one, you can only be created from this mechanism. Mm. And and for this, this bridge is completely trustless. There's no trusted party to to create it on this side. There's no trusted party to unlock it on the other side because every single node gets full visibility on both chains and every single node gets to uh, validate on both chains. So it's basically functioning as one chain. If you think about it, it's literally one chain on this side plus uh, a Web3 compatibility on the EVM side allows us to do a lot more things there. So there's, it, it's not, there, there's no risk of the EVM side being able to create new tokens or being, being able to corrupt the, the defunction side. It's very safe and very decentralized. Cool. And another one I also read in the past uh, in the chats, uh, if we don't, ex or why do we don't list a DBNB token on our DeFi chain? Yeah, with the bridge. Um, I think here the arbitrage traders uh, wanted <laughs> want this trading pass on <laughs> our side, so you can trade it uh, in the loop. Yeah, maybe we should. Um, maybe we should have a defib there. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I don't have an answer to that. Maybe we should have a defib on that one. Yeah. Cool. So Christian, make a defib for the next voting round. So the current <laughs> one is too late, <laughs> but the next one will come, and uh, then we can vote on it. Cool. That's all from the chat. Uh, no further questions. Uh, we are a little bit over one hour, but a lot of things to talk about. So I think the time was uh, very good to present the stuff. Uh, thanks a lot for joining uh, you all of us. Um, I think this helps the community to get a feeling what's happening. Um, yeah, for sure. Everyone sees the D tokens today, uh, the DEX, uh, liquidity mining, but more is coming uh, and giving us a feedback and an update. Uh, what's happening. I like the show. Uh, that's also why I'm hosting it. Uh, and uh, for sure, I cannot understand code uh, in this detail, but to, to get a feeling yeah, what's happening, what are the next steps is really great. Thanks for the presentation. And then Thank I would you, say you, thanks for thanks all for of you present of uh, viewing it live. Uh, I think the most one will uh, having uh, a look on the tech talk later on and uh, i would say we see you soon uh, next time in about six weeks uh, next tech talk is planned and maybe then um, yeah we see options trading on binance smart chain i'm looking forward to it see you soon bye together thanks, thanks for having me bye bye